I want to focus on verse 12 here. In the midst of this third appearance of Jesus after his death and resurrection, when Jesus said to them, Come and dine. At least that's what it says in my King James Bible. Come and dine. It occurs to me when I read these words that Jesus in the Gospels accepts many different invitations for him to go and dine with others. He goes to dine with his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, uh, with tax collectors and sinners. He's often dining with them. He even dines with the Pharisees who invite him with no other reason in mind but to trap him and humiliate him. But to my knowledge and recollection, this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus explicitly gives an invitation to someone to come and dine, if you don't count that time when Jesus sort of invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And he was like, yeah, dinner's on you, so we'll be going there. But he says to them, in this case, he's got a humble breakfast, it's fish, and he says, come and dine. Perhaps they would have had in mind when they heard those words in the midst of all the swirling awe of seeing the Lord once again after his resurrection, the idea of the table. And of course, for us, having just been at the altar together, partaking of the Lord's Supper, we might think when we hear these words, come and dine, of the ordinance of the table. And we might think then of the the union with him as he invites us to come and feed upon He himself, when Jesus said, of course, he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him, he was referring to something that was not just a mere memorial, but something far more spiritual. And perhaps the disciples made that connection as well. The last time they'd had any good time, any good quality time with Jesus had been around the table at what we call the Last Supper. The last time they'd enjoyed themselves and enjoyed each other's company and, and, and felt like everything was okay and was going to be okay. But with all that happened on that night and in the days since, more than likely what they heard in the Savior's warm invitation to come and dine was Jesus calling them back to experiencing his peace like they had on that night instead of fear and uncertainty and doubt. Perhaps John was thinking of how the last time he had dined with Jesus, he had reclined next to him. And the scriptures tell us even leaned his head against the Savior's chest. The kind of close fellowship. We don't think about table fellowship for anything. The new trend is these hipster restaurants. You go in, there's one long table and everybody just sits down by everybody. But in biblical times, to have table fellowship with someone was a big deal. That's why it was such a big deal when we were just in Acts with the story of Cornelius. Those Gentiles were invited into the home of Simon the Tanner. And there's Peter, this this Orthodox believer. And they have table fellowship together. And then Jesus enters into the home of Cornelius at Roman Centurion, and they have table fellowship together. And we see that this is something very, very prized amongst those who are close together in biblical thought. And that is what he's inviting them to here. The word is probably best translated, come and break fast. Come and have breakfast. That's primarily the meal that is described with this particular verb. And so what's, what's seen here is not a call back to the Lord's Supper, but an establishing of the Lord's breakfast. Every time you have fish for breakfast, you should think of this. I always thought that was really weird. I would point that out anytime I preached on this, on Easter and stuff. Who has fish for breakfast? Then I spent a couple weeks in Israel. 
And every single morning we'd go into wherever hotel or kibbutz we were at, there'd be a big buffet. No eggs, no bacon, obviously. And none of the pancake stuff we would want. There was like hummus, there was like leafy lettuce, and then there was different kinds of fish, even tuna fish. And it's good. Every once in a while, I just get this rando just urge for fish for breakfast. Well, on that day, they had fish for breakfast. Fish roast over a charcoal fire. And I'm sure the smell and everything else that came with this experience was wonderful to these disciples. And not only the experience, but the tone with which Jesus speaks to them. On one hand, everything has changed from what they knew. Jesus had been to them their rabbi, their teacher. They knew there was something special about him, but it never quite sunk in when he said, I will be denied and rejected and beaten and put to death and on the third day rise again. Somehow that kind of slipped by them. And when it now has happened, it's a whole game changer. And yet he talks to them like they haven't missed a beat. Children, do you have any fish? He calls to them. Children, do you have any fish? To them, I'm sure those words sounded a little bit like a dig. No, we've been fishing all night and we don't have any fish. But then he says, come, have some breakfast. There's something amazing in seeing the transcendence and the imminence of God. His being far off, mighty, and above everything. And his being here, close at hand, and with us, and within us. Because Jesus has just shown absolute sovereignty and absolute power over the depths of the sea. It's hard for us to understand how amazing that would have been to the minds of a first century person. That would have been on par with raising the dead. The the depths of the sea was symbolic of everything chaotic and destructive, and Jesus had now just controlled it. Oh, put, put your net on the other side, and hundreds of fish swim in. He's just shown himself to be beyond powerful and mighty, And then he speaks to them with total familiarity. Come, break your fast. Sit by the fire with me. He knows what they need in that moment. And he knows what we need in this moment and in every moment. He's appearing here to these seven disciples, probably primarily, I I think, to, to reinstate Peter, to take him aside and to say to him, Peter, do you love me? Which is part of the text we did not read. But before he gets to all of that, He sees the more immediate need. These guys, they need some food in their bellies, and they need a little time to be assured that everything will be okay. Because it's been a hard night, and and again, it's a big chasm here, culturally speaking, to us to spend time fishing, right? Isn't that, you see those bumper stickers, I'd rather be fishing. Uh, I know there was a group that used to go from Judson to go up, what, to Canada fishing. Uh, Richard would would go, and I think Jim Harmon and Dick Locke and uh, a number of other guys. Chuck, you go to that, that thing? I'm sure, a lot of really big... How, how big did you get? Just tell me when to stop. Wow. All right, well, they'd go and they'd, they'd fish and they'd come back and they would bond with each other like men do and they would enjoy creation. That is not what was going on on the sea that night. It was a miserable experience. First of all, because it was a return to old ways. It symbolized something. They had been called by Jesus away from this. Follow me. They left their nets and followed him. Now they're back to their nets. Now they're saying, well, perhaps there's nothing left. This, this Jesus road has reached a dead end. And so they've returned to old ways. And it's fruitless. Hard work 
every single time they cast and draw the thing back in, it's just straining the muscles, muscles they haven't been exercising much the last three and a half years. And as they pull it back in every time and it's empty, it's more and more a weight on their minds and on their souls. And so their old lives, they're reminded, were empty without the Lord Jesus. And every time they pull in the nets and find no fish, they're reminded anew just how empty they were and perhaps how empty they will be again. And because they've gone back to old ways, the old distance is back. Jesus doesn't feel close. Yeah, they've caught a glimpse of him here or there, but they're starting to get stir-crazy, as evidenced by Peter saying, Ah, I'm going fishing. By the way, that's, that's the proper way to read that. Ah, I'm, I'm, I'm going fishing. In, in fact, they don't even recognize Jesus at first. Because of the distance and perhaps the dim morning light, they look out and they don't know at first that it is him. And yet he patiently stands and calls to them and invites them to come break their fast with him. He closes the gap between them. The distance is because they have moved. They've returned to old ways. But Jesus is the one who closes the distance. And so this invitation goes deep to a deep sense. Not holy communion, but a holy communion. A close connection a closeness of divine presence. And this invitation doesn't just go deep, it goes wide. Because when we accept Jesus' invitation to the table, to table fellowship, to the kind of closeness, the kind of communion where we would recline beside him and even lean our head upon him, we also enjoy close fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. As Dave was talking about with his, let's frankly say, every single year rerun, Super Bowl children's sermon, and finally, eventually, the odds are good and it lines up with the, the sermon sermon. But, but everywhere, you know that believers are taking the Lord's Supper. And when we gather at that table, differences sort of melt away. There is no shortage of things that divide Christians from each other and cause us to turn even against each other. And yet, those who truly are born again and truly believe on Jesus Christ share one appetite, and that is for him. That is for Jesus himself. And the closer we get to Jesus, the closer we get to one another. We hunger and thirst to eat the bread of heaven and drink the living water to share at the, the table the bread and the cup. And the closer we get to him, the closer we are to one another. And, and notice how hollow these words really are, no matter how you inflect them. Yes, these guys are going off fishing together, but it's not joyous. They've been waiting and waiting, and finally, Peter, who can't sit still, Peter's like Alex, right? Just got to move, got to move, got to move, got to move. And he says, ah, I'm going fishing. I got to do something. I'm going fishing, and their response is, we'll go with you. And I don't know, am I alone in assuming those are the only words spoken through the night? That it was very quiet, because it was very hopeless. They were together, they were even fishing but they didn't have true fellowship because Christ was not present. So he invites them to share in this meal, and it means not only that he's offering closeness with him, closeness with each other, but he's offering fulfillment and satisfaction after they have spent maybe 12 hours experiencing anything, but it's time now to break the fast. Just to cut off any rumors 
at the, the source, the reason you did not see me partake of the Lord's Supper this morning is not because I am mired in sin, but because I'm having a medical test tomorrow, and I, I'm on like the liquid diet, certain color jellos, broth, you know, all the good stuff. And, and I'm already thinking, why did I start preaching on something called come and dine on this day? It's, it's crazy how hungry you can get when you haven't eaten good food, substantial food. And well, of course, fasting from food can be good for the soul. Too many of us have been neglecting to truly come to the table to feast with Christ and share his sweet fellowship the way he invites us. We've been, spiritually speaking, on a liquid diet. Just a little here and a little there. Just enough to keep us limping along, a little time in prayer a little, a little moment of scripture or devotion, coming together with the saints once in a while, perhaps coming to the Lord's table. And what's crazy, as any of you know who have fasted, whether for medical reasons or spiritual reasons or whatever, you know that after a certain amount of time, the hunger impulse just starts to weaken, kind of. And you say to yourself, well, I guess this is life now. Give me another green jello. Hmm. But when that moment comes tomorrow night when I can break my fast, I promise you I will be consumed with the idea of what I might consume. Now that I can eat. And when we have been drawing our strength from the world's watered-down casks, perhaps it is providential that I think you may have accidentally consumed grape drink today and not grape juice. When we have been drawing our strength from what the world offers, gathering with the saints once in a while, coming to the table here and there. We remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he was offered the the food that the disciples bought in town. He said, I have food, I have bread that you know nothing about, and it satisfies me. It is even possible to come and take the Lord's Supper and not benefit. It's possible to take the Lord's Supper and just be going through the motions and not join Jesus in the intimate table fellowship that he offers. And you know, it never says in the scriptures that part of this miracle was keeping the fish away until he arrived. But it only stands to reason. They didn't catch even one. And it just happened to be, no, this is what we'd call providence or perhaps a full-on direct miracle. Because he's showing them that their need for him is deep. That the old ways are not satisfying. They are fruitless and frustrating. And when they go back to them, when they drift away, they will be left wanting. Just as they'd been frustrated and fruitless after a night of just total failure the first time Jesus went out fishing with them. And he said, well, let's try one more time. And they cast, they said, we'll we'll humor you, carpenter. And they threw the nets in and pulled in so many fish that they needed to use two boats to bring them to shore. Matthew Henry said, Christ's time of making himself known to his people is when they are most at a loss. And we see that here. They are at a loss, and he comes to meet them on the shore And he invites them to sit around the fire and dine with him and break fast with him. And not only is their sense of closeness restored, but their sense of awe. They all knew it was him, but no one dared ask, are you the Lord? Who are you? After a horrible, cold, and frustrating night, the day was breaking, we're told. As the day was breaking, Jesus appeared to them on the shore. And they see him again, and they know him. 
He'd already kindled the fire. And hope was already returning to the hearts and lives of these people, even before Jesus began to reinstate Peter, who had denied him three times. Now maybe you have been fasting spiritually on a liquid diet. Maybe you have been in the midst of a dark night where you say, I feel like Jesus is nowhere to be seen, and I've kind of stopped looking for him. And I've kind of stopped even longing for him. And I'm cool with the green jello and the chicken broth. I urge you to break the fast. Tomorrow morning, tonight, before you go to bed, open the words of Scripture and expect to meet Jesus there. Go to him in prayer and tell him all the reasons why you've been away. All the reasons why you've been absent. And he will show you all the reasons why he is inviting you to come and dine with him. To break your fast. We remember when the angel of the Lord said to Elijah in 1 Kings 19, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. In the same way the journey is too great for us. We need to feed with Christ. We need to feed on Christ, crucified and all the benefits of his death. We need to spend time in intimate table fellowship with our Lord. We have food the world knows nothing about. Why do we try and find our strength and our, and our motivation in what the world offers when Jesus himself is waiting at the fire, roasting some fish, calling to us, come and dine? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful story of those who had begun to doubt and even lost all hope. We think of the words of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We had hoped that he was the Christ thinking of hope in the past tense. And Lord, if there is anyone here who is beginning to think of hope in the past tense, I pray they would hear your spirit, your voice calling them to come and break the fast, to return to you. Lord, we, we pray that those of us who have been uh, perhaps not wandering into sin or backsliding in our faith, but Lord, just finding the, the embers growing cold in our faith, that Lord, we would recognize that you are even now building the fire back up and inviting us to return to a, a passionate pursuit of righteousness and a passionate pursuit of you. That, Lord, we would want to spend time in your word, that you would give us the desire to spend time in prayer, to gather together regularly with the saints, to gather together at the Lord's table. We are so thankful for these gifts you give us, and Lord, we confess we take them for granted and even sometimes think of them as, as duties, responsibilities, things that we just have to do sometimes. Lord, we pray you would rearrange our minds, rearrange our values, rearrange our attitudes so that we have the same mind in us, which was in Christ Jesus, and see these gifts for what they are, a chance to spend time with our Creator who, who controls life and death who controls the movement of the fish in the depths of the sea, and who calls to us, children, come and break fast with me. In your holy name we pray. Amen.